Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Betrayed partner here. My SA husband of 40 years is doing all that you recommend. CSAT, 12-step meetings, online support group, mentor, and sponsor. We had a full therapeutic disclosure eight months ago, and he's had about four slips since then. Is this typical in the first year of recovery? He says he's learning and is committed to getting well so that he can restore our relationship. But every new slip feels like it's gotten the wind, like I've gotten the wind knocked out of me. Thanks for any insight you can provide. Well, I don't know if I'll have the right answers, but for one thing, I slipped looking at porn is different than a slip having sex with five different people. And I don't mean that I don't mean to excuse or dismiss or undervalue the porn issue. It's just, there's a big difference between someone who's really struggling on the weekend at home online and someone who's actually going out and meeting people, making a decision. So that would be part of what I would have feelings about or acting out. You know, some people do the porn and the sex workers and the affair I, I would be more concerned about live acting out just because that worries me about what could happen to him, what could happen to you, what could happen legally. I mean, all those kind of issues. Um, I don't think that four slips in the first year is, it seems like a lot to me, to be honest with you. I expect that people will have one or two slips. What I really do appreciate, though, it looks like he's telling you because you know, and boy, is that the most important thing that you know this. I would, however... Um, if you do talk to his therapist or you do have a relationship, I mean, this is what I tell clients who slip. Uh, they'll say, let's say I go to two meetings a week and I go to therapy once a week. Okay, well, maybe you need to go to four meetings a week. Maybe you need to check in with your therapist by phone every day. In other words, when someone has a slip, and I, for my perspective, right, they didn't have a slip, it's not my relationship, so I'm not upset with them. I just, but rather than saying, I can't believe you did that again, and I say, wow. The, my perspective, okay? Wow, you must really be struggling and need more support. Now, on the other side of as a partner, I would be, you better do more. But as a therapist, I'm just, you know, it's it's kind of like, well, I guess you need to have more support, more, you know, and this is how people end up in residential treatment, which is what we do, is that they've, you know, they've taken time, they worked with a therapist, they're going to multiple meetings, they maybe been to a psychiatrist, they're on meds, you know, and they're going to support groups. And despite all of that, they're still really struggling. And at that point, you have to say, well, um, maybe they need a higher level of care. And another thing that happened is people could have trauma issues and that trauma gets stirred up. And I don't know what or might or might not cause that. And then they just, they go act out. And so they can't really do the work they need to do in therapy because they get triggered to act out. And then the acting out becomes the sole focus of their therapy. So it may mean that this person needs to take on more stuff to do so that recovery becomes an every single day. What I do is deeply interact with some form of recovery. And by the way, you can go online for an hour every single day and go to a meeting or support group. Or maybe he's someone that you should call Tammy about and say, you know, I'm my husband's working so hard and we've been married so long and I want this relationship to work. But I can't live with this. And, you know, that's why we take people for residential treatment for that very reason. By the way, we probably know his therapist or work with them already because we know most of the CSATs out there. So, Tammy, do you want to give some feedback? 
Well, I did, and I, you know, I did catch the, he's had slips, um, and to to me, that is, he's come to you and told you. Um, I do agree 100% with Dr. Rob, if it's like watching porn, that's way different, you know, than, you know, uh, than acting out and putting your health at, you know, further risk, et cetera, too. So, um, and not that porn isn't acting out, acting out with real, I should have completed the sentence, um, uh, acting out with another human being where, you know, where there's that extra layer of, you know, potential unsafety for you as well. So, you know, and, and I know that the wind gets knocked out of you, but, um, but I also hear he's doing a lot right. So yeah, doing upping the upping the level of care you know i don't know at this point i don't know what step he's on um um he's working with a sponsor hopefully he's navigating those and moving through those you know with um some pacing you know he's not just on step three um you know at this point after this time so um but you know he's doing online things we have the sex addiction 101 started on saturday i just added somebody else to that group we'll have another one group it's a work work group yeah Thank you. Um, but yeah, it's the online work group. So we've got a betrayed partner group starting for you, you know, on August 17th. So consider, you know, some additional support for you. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, the slips can happen. I think it's really important to be looking at the patterns. It's kind of like the aut- uh, autopsy on, um, you know, what was going on, not just right before, because the decision could have happened, you know, a week before when you know, I was triggered at therapy or something happened, you know, so I think it's really important, you know, for an addict who has a slip or a relapse to do that autopsy on what was going on, you know, that I gave myself permission to go act out rather than, you know, come to you and say, I'm really struggling. I need to call my sponsor. I need to do, I need to do something that would be beneficial for me rather than problematic for me. So. Well, I wanted to say one more thing too, because sure. um, honestly, the spouse sounds so nice so Mm -hmm. supportive so nurturing and i admire that however um he's hurting you and so i wonder if there are consequences for that meaning i'm so glad you told me about it but you're going to sleep in the living room or i'm so glad you told me about that but i'm so angry at you that i want to see you today like you don't have to be nice because you know there is this kind of and this is what i wrote about in pro-dependence you know we feel like oh I I can't yell at them. I can't get mad because they're really recovered. Maybe they'll have another slip or nothing you do is going to leave him making decisions to do act out unless he wants to act out, in which case he doesn't even need you to go do that. But I think one of the things I didn't see here, I see a lot of support. I heard that you get knocked out, but how do you respond? Because it's okay to say, I'm not going to be around this weekend. I'm going to be with my friends and I'm going to be doing this. And you can just sit by yourself and see if you're going to have another slip. I mean, I think it's perfectly fine to withdraw yourself or certainly to express your anger. It's nice that he's telling, I wouldn't say, if you do it again, I'm leaving you or something like that. I wouldn't threaten because then you probably would stop telling you, but I would absolutely act on how I feel, which is I'm furious and I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. I'm furious and you know I'm gonna to go to my support group. Or So I, I think that he needs to have real world consequences for his behavior, um, even though he's doing well, even though he's going to meetings, even though we're all proud of him, we appreciate that. You're still getting, you're the one who's getting the direct hurt. And so you, you know, I, as a therapist, I wanna be nice to him. Um, as a sponsor, I wanna support him. As someone else in his group, I want to like have him call me and reach out. And but you, as a spouse, your job is to be angry. That's your job. 
And so I hope that you are in the boundaries of being compassionate and hopeful about his recovery, not pushing away your own feelings, because it's actually useful to the process. He needs to know that he hurt you and that you're angry and you're hurt, if that's really how you feel. So um, anyway, that's that's my bit. Well, I'm going to add to that because uh, Debbie McRae last Friday did a great, like we hardly ever talk about anger and, and it's such a, an important topic and she did a great webinar. So on sexandrelationshiphealing.com under the resource tab, you will see previously recorded webinars. I would invite you to go look at that because she really talked about the spectrum of like Dr. Rob said, where somebody doesn't, is afraid of being angry because of, you know, oh, I'll make him which you can't, but I'll make him relapse or I'll trigger him, you know, to the other side where it's the raging and, and I hear this from partners, I have turned into somebody that I never was and don't want to be, you know, so where is that, that healthy space for you to be in where, you know, where it does bring up some accountability issues and it, it helps you without being, you know, too far on one where you're, you're completely not in touch with any anger because it would be and I think particularly for women it's like oh it's not nice to be angry you know but uh, to the other side of it where it's that raging that is destructive for you you know and and relationship so that may be a useful resource for you too but I wanted to you know I want to say more things since I'm getting into this anger thing is that oh I think he will be back if you were to come to me and said I had a slip, I would say I really appreciate your telling me. What are you going to do about it? Because I am glad you told me, and I'm sure you feel badly, and the wind got knocked out of me. But I want to hear what actions you are taking. I don't hear I'm sorry, or I didn't mean, or I'm working so hard, or that's nice. But I want to know as a spouse. So you're going to go to more meetings. So you're going to call Tammy about treatment. So you're going to because it is not your responsibility. It's your responsibility to say. I really appreciate you telling me and it makes me furious. It knocks the wind out of me. So I want to know what's going to change um, because it can be very comfortable to tell you once every six weeks to six months that I had a slip, not many consequences. You seem to be supportive. It just makes it easier and I can just keep doing what I'm doing. So, um, you know, if it isn't working, add something, change something, do something else. And he has, you have every right to say, I want to know exactly what you're going to do differently. And by the way, have you told your therapist that you have this slip? Because sometimes we just don't tell them. Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to include you, your thinking in that words are one thing, but actions much more useful for us at the other end. Well, and that's a great point with the, you know, cause there's like a cycle of addiction. And so if it's happening, it's going back to what I was talking about too, with the autopsy of like, what, what is happening? What is the pattern with this? You know, where, where do you see this so that you can intervene on that? You know, and with all of us, we have, we have an outer circle, we have a middle circle, we have an inner circle. And if somebody is going from the outer circle to the inner circle and racing right through the middle circle, there's a problem, you know, they, there needs to be more, you know, uh, more speed bumps to keep, you know, keep, keep that from so, happening. Or there were lots of red flags and it was just like, oh, I'm going to ignore those. You know, that's what happens yeah. a lot too. I can't see any more questions because I got locked out and locked back, came oh. back in. So, oh, I forgot about that. So I'm going to read this one because I, I, I already put it in okay. the other. Thank you. So how do you all work through the pain of dealing with unavailable people? 
currently going to SLAA 12-step meetings for about five months and have reached out to a number of people for fellowship and support, and they've all been flaky and unavailable. Welcome to addicts. I know commitment and consistency is a part of the character defects of the disease. It's frustrating to deal with. I want to give grace to others, and I want it as well. But the lack of consistency seems anti-ethical to the concept of healing in community. How can you heal in community if half the community isn't available? LOL. And it's not really so LOL. It's, it, it, you know, I will shop around for other meetings, but um, to get a different feel, any thoughts? So been going to SLAA for about five months. No, I, I got, feel, I got Oh, you got, got it. Got. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, I did okay. get it. Um, okay. My comment to that would be, um, I would go to a meeting and raise my hand and I would say, Hey folks, you know, I'm really trying to get this, but a lot of folks I've reached out to have not been, I would say they're flaky to them. I would say they really haven't been available or haven't followed through. And I really need to get this. And if any of you would be willing to come up after the meeting who are really committed to sponsoring, to following through, to making this a life journey, please talk to me. Um, I think that you, I don't think that you can get the answers that you want by asking us or even asking this community. I think you get the answers that you want from that community. And, you know, and, and I know that we're not used to speaking this way, but, you know, I will often, I, I will raise my hand at a meeting. Well, certainly back in the day. And I would say, I hate being here. I don't like any of you. I don't want to be dealing with this and I'd rather be home. You know, I raise my hand and share that and people would come and, and they, I know exactly how you feel. I hate it in the beginning too. You know, whatever you put out there, you're probably going to get some kind of helpful response. And you're not the only person in that meeting or those meetings who have not gotten what they needed. It'll produce a whole conversation over coffee about, well, what do we need to do to be more supportive of the new people? By the way, say this, I'm a newcomer. That will change. <laughs> One of the things that we're committed to in the long-term healing is to try to help people who are new. It, it helps us feel better about ourselves. And let's be honest, we see somebody who's really struggling and we think, thank God I'm not there anymore. So, you know, we are in a good place to be able to help people. It is important for our own healing that we help people. One of the reasons that Tammy and I do this, both personally and professionally, is it makes us better people by hearing and giving the support that we give. So um, you don't know that, but one of the reasons we do this free without cost is because it benefits us too. So anyway, I do think that being more direct in those rooms is a way, even though it's hard, is a way to really get what you need. And what we also need to practice as addicts, because we're not particularly good at it, is being assertive. You know, we would rather, and how do I know that we're passive? Because I'll get angry at someone and go act out. Most people are angry at someone, they talk to them. Addicts get angry at someone, they go drink. I mean, that's very passive. So I think part of your learning process is to stand up for what you want. Um, and make sure that you put it out there because that is part of our healing process. Um, so that's my thought. Yeah, and I've got a couple to tag on with that. So I put in the chat on uh, our online work groups often, for, first of all, they're life facilitated. You'll get a really good foundation of, of information, but the, the people that are in there also tend to connect because you're going through a six-week course so you'll make some connections and and you know as you're you're talking about your homework you know you'll go oh I, that really resonates with me you know can we share you know phone numbers so that we can you know be peer support for each other also on sexandrelationshiphealing.com every one of the drop-in groups is is moderated there's a there's a person there you know keeping the safe space i sub in 
um, usually on the betrayed partner groups, but, but they are quick to share, you know, contact information so that people can be supportive of each other. It's different than a sponsor. Um, in addition to what Dr. Rob said about, hey, I need a, a sponsor. You know, I, I've had people come up to me in a meeting and say, would you be my sponsor? So, so you know, it can be a little quieter. And if they, it, you have to get over fear of rejection because if they say, no, I'm not a good fit, you know, or not right now or whatever, but you could try something, but try this person. Um, just, it's a numbers game. So make sure you're asking, but look for people that have something you want. You know, all mm. with all respect to the flaky people, they're new in the process. It is harder, you know, to find people that have a longer journey in this area. Um, it is about addressing the underlying, it's not the behavior, but address those underlying issues. So, so the more work you do, um, I, I, and I think you'll find those people and, and it, it, it can be a whole team. One more thing. I, um, uh, Debbie McCray, who I mentioned, you know, for, for the, uh, webinar the other day, she talked about her journey and she had a whole posse of people. And when she needed somebody to give her just support, you know, that was, she had this person that she called when she needed somebody to kind of like, go, you know, here's the deal and then tell her the truth and, you know, hold her accountable. She had this person. And so having a team of people, like rather than just one person can also be, you know, an opportunity for you. You know, I, when I first got into recovery, you know, I got, I had a, there was a whole bunch of us and we created a, we were single. And, and so we just created a group and we did things, life things together as well. Not just at the meeting or just coffee, you know, right after we, you know, we did lots of life things. So finding people in recovery that have like-mindedness that want to be different and, and on a healing journey. Um, you know, I think, I, I think you'll find them. So keep turning over the stones and the flaky stones. Okay. The next question, I think you should be able to see this one now. I can. Okay. Okay. I've been listening to podcasts with Dr. Minwala. The content is confronting to me as an addict in relation to the view of abuse to the partner and family. Do you find merit in this approach in relation to the addicts and partners recovery? No. Ditto. Let's move on. I will. Okay. I don't um, want to speak about other clinicians or their skill sets. Okay. It's just, first of all, I do want to say, okay, I will say something. Dr. Manwala worked for me for a number of years before he left and started his own thing. And the way that he has chosen to do this work is very different than I do. And, you know, everyone gets to work in whatever way they feel best um, or most comfortable. But that's not an approach that I agree with or support. So the next question, our kids don't know about my addiction, but no, I've done something that has hurt their mom and I'm working to make sure I don't, I never do it again. Our recovery dominates what we do. Is there much study research on impact on kids and ways to mitigate damage? Well, first of all, I don't know how old your kids are. So, um, you know, if they're seven and nine or two and five, um, I think what you're doing is fine, which is mom and I have been having some problems and I'm trying to, and I think I kind of let mom down and I'm really working on it. And, you know, these are adult issues. I don't, you know, I don't want to tell you what they're about. They're between you and mom, me and your mom, but, you know, and always, but we adore you. We love you. Nothing is ever going to happen to you. We will always take care of you no matter what happens between me and mom. We love you. It's not your fault. I mean, all of that, because children will assume responsibility that they that they don't need to assume responsibility for just because they're kids and that's what kids do. 
Um, I do think, um, so study and research impact on kids, you know, uh, there's lots of study and research on trauma and how different kinds of trauma affects kids, but what goes, what's going on in your relationship? I don't know. In other words, is there tremendous tension between you or do you not talk to each other or do you avoid difficult subjects? And so there's something in the air that no one talks about each way of managing each other. So I can't say addiction affects every child in this way. I can say the way the couple negotiates the addiction, how they handle each other during that period of time is going to affect the kids. And what we're talking about, which is acknowledge their struggle and that they see something wrong, you know, make sure they understand that what they're seeing and feeling is real. Make sure they know that it's not their fault and reassure them and that you and mom are talking about it and working it out. Other than that, you know, I'm not sure what else you could do. I would always say start saving for therapy so that when they get older, you can help them get it. Um, I, let me just briefly say about older children. So let's say over 18. Um, I don't think it's ever appropriate to tell your kids about your sex life. I don't care if they're 25 or 40. I didn't want to know what my parents were doing. I probably knew too much. And uh, it's not helpful. Uh, it's not helpful. Mom and I, and I'll tell you why it's not helpful in part, because if your 23-year-old finds out that you had an affair and you hurt their mother, they may, they, it's not unusual for them to take sides. And so that 23 year old may say, well, I can't believe you hurt mom. I don't want to talk to you. And don't even think about, you know, you and mom working things out because, you know, after what you did and, and then I've seen couples try to work things out and the kid gets in the way. So, and also, you know, 24 year olds, they're still trying to figure out their sex intimacy relationship issues. So I, I think for the older kids, there's not much you can do except acknowledge um, and I've seen a lot of dads after going through treatment go back to their older kids and say, you know, I've been realizing how little I was available to you. And in other words, acknowledge what they missed that that the addict now knows that they missed. Um, but uh, it depends on what kind of issues are going on between you, what they're experiencing and seeing, how old they are, um, and how much they know. So there's too many variables to give you a specific answer. I do think there's lots of research on kids who are emotionally neglected, kids who have parents who fight all the time, kids who live in a household where there are secrets. I mean, there's research on that, but it depends on how you play this out. Because this isn't about the addiction, it's about how you manage it and what they see. Um, anyway, those are my thoughts. Tammy, you're doing this, so either you're No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not. A, or... <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I'm not just swaying. Um, so, okay. you know, I mean, I think about you did a podcast with Dr. Enid Gray on neglect the silent abuser, and it talks about mm -hmm. all those nuanced things, of, uh, you know, and, and Troy Love with the attachment wounds, you know, if abandonment, neglect, I mean, all of those things, you know, so the, the way that you are handling it in the context of, you know, how you are being adults with each other and how you are nurturing the kids you know, that really, that makes such a difference. So, um, so I think it's one of those where, you know, and I do know, and this is the one that hurts me the most, I think, well, I don't know, there's a bunch. Um, but when kids like, like, like dad has used their technology and the kids discover this stuff. And so that, you know, that's a whole different layer. You're not indicating that that's the case. Um, you know, that they know because they've found it. Um, unfortunately, that is, is uh you know really extra challenging when kids or it's going to be on the local news you know i mean there are so many stories like that too so so it, it depends but you know if we go it's not the kid's fault you know we're the adults and we're going to do our best not to make them take sides 
you know, we're not going to divide our family. We're going to make sure that we're taking care of those kids that you, you know, you guys can get the support to really help them. So. Can I just say, Tammy, real quick, um, real quick. So I just passed, I just passed, um, my podcast just passed a million downloads and that's just really moving to me, not because of the attention or the validation, because it just tells me that so many people need that support. And I typed in the name of the podcast. I also wanted Tammy to so I don't know if you guys know this, but every single one of these that we do, you probably heard they're recorded, but they're put into a podcast. And uh, the content is obviously nobody hears what you guys are saying and we, they don't hear your name. So they hear Tammy and I answered questions. And Tammy, would you be willing to type in the name of our podcast? We had 8,000 downloads, not, not that long. You know, we're doing okay. We're a little podcast that could, you and I, little podcast. Yes. Could. So I just typed that in. It's Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. All of the podcasts can be found on the podcast tab on sexandrelationshiphealing.com. I put that link in the chat as well. But for those of you that are watching this later, you know, that's where you can find those. But yes, we did, we did. I was watching, I was, you know, doing the refresh and I captured a screenshot of a million downloads on that. So that was pretty pretty cool. And, and actually there's more that were recorded that should be um, posting this week. So there's um, some fresh content again, and, and we're, we're committed to continuing that as well. So, okay. Next question. Is it too early, almost nine months since D-Day for ambivalence to subside? He sees a therapist and watches webinars, no meetings, etc. He seems to be free of acting out. He has an issue with me not trusting him yet. Huh. Why would you? And thinks I should be starting to do so. No. He gets irritated with questions, which are not even con constant in nature. But when I need proof, I need proof. I just don't feel very much of anything still. Oh, I, I, yeah. Why don't you start, Tammy? You have feelings about this. I do. I do. I want to run yeah. to the restroom. So why don't you answer this? And I'll be right <laughs> so back. Mute. No, I mean, you, you've got this, mute. but I will respond. And I will, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So, so, um, He's done nothing. I mean, just stopping the behavior is stopping the behavior. So that's abstinence. Um, he sees a therapist. You don't even indicate if it's a qualified therapist. If he's seeing a generalist therapist, you know, I say this all the time. It's like going to your GP when you have cancer. You're going to a nice doctor that can help you get a flu shot or, you know, whatever. But, you know, take your cholesterol, you know, rating, but, you know, isn't able to deal with these things. And just watching webinars, you know, like the opposite of addiction is healthy attachment. He's doing nothing, you know, and, and I don't know him, and you're typing this as an anonymous attendee. So I've got no skin in this game at all, except what I hear, you know, is, is, is typical of someone who wants to keep, you know, I don't really want to, I don't really want to do anything, but you should get over it. You should be like, trusting me and why are you asking me questions because you know i stopped i mean it's just ludicrous so so you not trusting him 100 percent agree he has not earned that him not doing any real work you know it, it, if we could read a book watch a webinar go to see a therapist for 50 minutes once a week and and magically be better we would but this is a day we wouldn't be here right this is a daily thing addiction is a chronic condition and without good intervention it will continue it, it it will so it's just kind of a matter of time or he's using something else you know food you know a gaming um uh, uh the smoking and vaping i mean there's so many different ways of you know people are using other things to you know, to soothe that hole in the soul so i'm not acting out here but i'm doing all this other stuff so 
So the ambivalence, I think that's a self-protection thing. Um, um, and honestly, you know, Dr. Rob and I've talked about this before amongst ourselves too. When we hear somebody who's ambivalent or indifferent, you know, it, you know, it's kind of like you're really questioning whether, you know, there's hope for the relationship when somebody's really angry and they're still in it, you know, that that's different, but the ambivalence, you know, I kind of wonder, and I think it's one of those where you taking a look at what do you need for you and give him a chance to either show up differently. You know, what are your healthy boundaries? What are you looking to see, you know, so that you can see that he's actually doing things different or what do you need for your for your joy you know if if a year from now you know he's still doing this are you okay with it and if you are uh, you know no judgment all good you know I, I think it's one of those what kind of a timeline are you on to see him really motivated to to make some changes so dr rob well i read this as a spouse who has way too much investment in the addict and not enough investment in themselves. Meaning, what do you mean he has an issue with your not trusting him? Should you trust him? If you've been together, how long, for how many years, I'm guessing, was he lying and cheating and having this other life? And you're supposed to be over it in nine months? I mean, where does that come from? And what right does anyone who violated your trust have to do to, with turning around and saying, oh, well, when are you gonna trust me? And gee, and the irritation, Imagine like how much hubris, how much arrogance it takes to say, you know, I know I hurt you and lied to you for years, but it's really bothering me to keep asking me questions. You know, like this is so what I see is a partner who is not letting themselves get into the anger and the disappointment mm -hmm. that they have a right to have. And that a partner that's still being manipulated is being manipulated by this addict. Um, you, If you've been here at all or listened to us at all, First of all, I don't even know if this is a therapist who's trained in this work. Just seeing a therapist doesn't mean anything. As Tammy said, you go to your doctor if you have headaches all the time. If you have cancer, you go to a different doctor. And so, you know, I, I don't think this is a lack of a problem or you guys wouldn't be talking about this. But, um, you know, when he says no meetings and watching webinars, I, I don't know why I thought this metaphor, but I thought of somebody sitting in an audience and watching a show and think, okay, well, next week I'll be an actor and I'll be on the stage. No, you don't get mm -hmm. there by watching the show. You know, you have to rehearse and you have to go to, you know, classes and you have to meet people and, you know, you don't just get on that stage. Well, Tammy and I didn't get to sit here and support you guys because we watched a few webinars. It takes a lifetime of work. So I think part of your, I think that there's some, I smell some bullshit going on here, which is you're getting gaslighted. You're getting told I'm doing okay and this isn't a big deal and I am working on it. So why are you giving me such a hard time? And when are you going to trust me again? As if. So it's not only too early at nine months. It's not necessarily too early. I think you have every reason for feeling ambivalent. And, you know, I don't, in fact, I'm not sure I'd be an ambivalence. I think I'd still be in you are a mofo and you ruined my life. So don't you understand that he is one down you are now in charge of, are you going to meetings? What are you doing? How are you treating me? What are you telling? Because if you are really in sync with your feelings, you're not going to put up with this. You are in charge. I wrote a book called Out of the Doghouse, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. Maybe he should read it. <laughs> Maybe he should take a course in Out of the Doghouse. Clearly, he does not know how to show his empathy and compassion. And what I say to the men I work with is, it, you know, words don't mean anything. 
at this point, I mean, how long do you say, oh, no, I'm not doing this and doing that? And yes, he was. So what matters is action. It doesn't matter. I love you. And I'm sorry I did this. And I am going to therapy. No, it's what would mean, you know, I didn't mean to make you feel unsafe. And I have let you down. What would make you feel safe? You need to ask me questions every day. Okay, maybe that will help you feel safe. Are you really angry at me? You know, I'm going to have to deal with my feelings about that. Um, do you need me to go to more meetings? You know, it's like if I have a spouse and I want to be with them and I want to work things out, when they say jump, I say how high. Because this is a point where he has nothing, no legs to stand on. Can you tell I'm getting upset about this, Tammy? So it bothers me. And I don't mean to blame you in any way. It bothers me that I think you have not allowed yourself to fully take in the amount of hurt and anger you have and are a little too focused on, you know, is he doing this? Um, should he be doing that? Should he be doing that? And not focused enough on how you feel. Your ambivalence is meaningful. I would pay more attention to it rather than saying, oh, when am I going to get over being ambivalent? You'll get over being ambivalent when you see real action and change. And real action and change isn't just I'm going to lots of meetings and it's also how how I am treating you. You know, if I am really doing all this work that he says he's doing, he should know that you are the last person he should treat in any way other than compassionately and reflectively. And, you know, so the fact that he's getting irritated with your questions and that he thinks you should be starting to trust him tells me everything about how he's not doing what he needs to do. So, yeah, this is someone who needs to sign up for a course. Sex Addiction 101 starts next week. I have no problem telling you that. And, it, you know, it isn't that much, 90 minutes a week, six weeks. Maybe he'll get a sense of what he's really done. Um, and I agree with Tammy. It has to be interactive. You know, I love therapists. I am a therapist. But if we don't understand how to work with addiction. Oh, and here's another piece. Can I go on? If he's seeing a therapist who knows what they're doing in this field, he would be going to meetings. He would be having a sponsor. He would be not ir So I'm a little questioning one of two things. Either he's lying to his therapist or he's lying to you about what his therapist says, either one or probable. Um, or, um, well, anyway, let me want to say that he's learned how to shut you up and he's working really hard to put you back in that place of not having a voice because after all, look at all he's doing and it is not your job to cheer for his success or lack of it. It's, uh, I can cheer for him. I'm not married to him. You know, the guys in recovery or women, they can cheer for him. But your job is to stay with what you feel and not even question it. So the fact that you want your ambivalence to subside, I say go with that ambivalence. Trust that ambivalence. You're not seeing what you need to see to feel safe. And yes, you need proof. You deserve proof. When someone's lied to you enough, you kind of need to know what is really happening and not just for a week or two, it will be a long time before you feel any real sense of trust again. It, to me, it seems like also some, some support groups for partners. And again, take the Betrayed Partners course, hang out in some of the free, the many free groups that we offer um, for partners to sit and listen to other partners. You spend a couple of weeks in those groups, I think you'll get in touch with your anger um, and you need to. Because if you're trying to fuzzy figure out how to make this work with, I guess it's a him, I assume it's a him, um, you need to hear from other spouses who are saying, I would never put up with that, or this is what I'd be looking for, or, you know, we're glad to say it, but I think having a peer say it to you 
You know, I always say to a woman, it's so wonderful to look across one of those rooms and see that someone who's about your age, who's about your same level of attraction, who has had the life you had, have had, and it happened to him or her too. And then you think, oh my God, it isn't me at all, you know? And there is a little bit of that in here, like, do I have any part in his problem? And the answer is no. But he'd like you to think if you'd just be nicer and just be this, that somehow he would act differently. Um, it's not your responsibility to change his actions. It's your job to say, what am I willing to put up with and what am I not? You are in the driver's seat here. I just don't think you are aware, uh, feeling empowered. Well said. And yeah, I was like, I just feel like healthy boundaries for you. What do you need to do for you? Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.